Hey Voyagers, it's Josh coming to you from the editing booth. I just want to say if you're at PAX Unplugged this weekend and you see me, feel free to say hi. We would love to meet some of our Voyagers and listeners just to say what's up and, you know, have a good time. PAX is one of my favorite conventions. I look forward to pretty much going every year. So, if you're on the way there, please have a safe travel. And if you're not, I hope you enjoy the episode. Now, back to the submarine. Welcome to the Tabletop Submarine, where we dive a little bit deeper into why we love board games. Strap in and prepare for a deep sea adventure. You're your host. Hey, Andrew. Yes? So, I found this cow, and this cow does not want to move. And... It's it's really difficult for me to actually try to move it. I've tried pushing it. I've tried lifting it. I tried levying it. It's it's just not working. This cow's name is Valley, and it's it's really it's really difficult for me to move this cow. Hmm. Yeah. So what are you gonna do? Well, I may pull Valley. And- yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello, boy. Welcome to the tabletop submarine, and that, that one hurts my soul too. Welcome to the tabletop submarine podcast. <laughs> it is so good to have you here. As always, I am your pun master, Josh, and with me is my number one pun recipient. Yeah, I get kicked a lot from that. That's I'm Andrew, uh, and today in the podcast we have a very special guest. It is Roberta Taylor, who has a phenomenal game coming out. Hello Kitty, Day at the Park. And if you don't know that one, you might also know her from Creature Comforts, which was a major hit from Kids Cable Board Games. So, Roberto, welcome Thanks. to the show. It's fun to be here. So, Roberta, you are, you, all lots of your designs have been with like Kids Board Gaming Table, but you have, you have a bunch of other things beyond that. But Creature Comforts has definitely been the big thing that has happened most recently. When you're designing these kind of like, these, comforting games how do you approach that like what's what's the story behind how you approach those things so i i really come to gaming as someone who i i I wanted to play games with my kids i want to play games with people i care about and so i always sort Mm -hmm. of have that perspective of like what are the types of games that you know let let me have those moments and that really falls in that sort of family game category a lot of the time and when i approach those games i i really think about the story and I really think about the emotions of the player when they're playing it and um, I drew a lot of really helpful um, sort of concrete what does that look like from reading about how um, cozy video games are created um, because they're sort of they've done Mm -hmm. that longer than board games have and they they have some really great um, thoughts and and they really translate pretty well to tabletop games. Was that a study you did yourself, or did you find a book or something like that, or a website that was telling you more about cozy games in the video game space? So I actually started by stumbling on a really great paper written um, about I don't know it's probably getting on like maybe eight years ago uh, about what makes a cozy game, um, and that that um, a group of authors including Tanya Short who runs. Um, kit fox games um okay. studio um so they'd been just basically a group of really smart people came together and sort of threw their thoughts down and and then from there i sort of did that internet rabbit trail of like oh what else has been written about this who else has done this and whatever but i still refer back to that paper sometimes 
That's great. And we all know that when a bunch of really smart people get together, all sorts of cool things happen. So that's what it's all about. Yeah, for sure. So you have lots of great games out there. You have Maple Valley, Creature Comforts, Hello Kitty, newest Octopus Garden. How did you end up in this position as a designer? Like, what, what's your, How did you stumble into this wonderful tabletop industry? I started making games as a stress release from a job that was going really bad and ended up, I discovered that when I'm working on a game, I wasn't like obsessing over everything that had gone wrong that day at work, basically. And and then ended up encountering a group of Canadian designers who were just sort of starting at the time, figuring out what game design looked like, what made good games, and like just sharing a lot of info. And they encouraged me to submit one of my designs to the first um, Canadian Game Design Award um, that was being run by the Falcon Gaming Society out of Calgary. And I actually won that award, which led to my first publishing contract. And, you know, I dabbled as a hobby. That was like 12 years ago. Yeah, more than that. Oh, my goodness. Um, For a long time, you know, and it's like my kids grew up and left home and I moved provinces and lots of life change happened. I kept doing it and then sort of got more interested in really deliberately pursuing specifically um, the sort of serious games, big ideas in games a number of years ago which led to a bunch of different opportunities and, you know, ultimately um, about just over just under two years ago, I started having to turn down work in, in game design because I have my day job. So that gave me the courage to take the leap about a year and a half ago and just be full-time game designer. So love it. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm pretty lucky. I have to say, like, it's a it's a pretty, pretty amazing position to be in. So as a person who's a full time game designer, how many different games in prototype form do you have personally working on right now? Oh, my. Um, Is it in the 20s, the 30s? It doesn't have to be a specific number. It's not that high. Like in prototype form, I probably have six, eight, ten Um, In various places, I have files and files of ideas and notes Mm -hmm. and, and things that I've sort of, like, I have, for example, a game that I've worked on for years that is really cool, but it doesn't have like, a spark. It's, it's good, but it doesn't have a reason to exist beyond, because it just isn't quite brilliant. Mm -hmm. And, and so I decided as an exercise a few months ago to like, disassemble it and see how many other games I could make using it as a starting point. And some of those could end up being great games or they could just be really great practice for me and like figuring out how to reach design goals and stuff. That's a really great lesson for a bunch of game designers out there. Uh, we all have games that just don't have that spark. It doesn't take that next level. It works functioning as a game, but doesn't inspire anyone. It doesn't make anybody want to come back and play it again. Uh, those are good lessons to learn, but also I think that makes sense to use those as a resource toward other things and let that get a new life doing something else and don't let it just keep banging its head against the wall that's wonderful yeah i i can spend a lot of time banging my head against the wall (laughs) it's one of those things i try to learn like when do you let go when do you walk away when do you give it like that that even just some time to have that perspective although i do have a design i've been working on for well over a decade that i'm very good at banging my head against the wall that's (laughs) that's the short (laughs) and long of that Well, we're glad you're here and not banging your head against the wall, hopefully. (laughs) My instruments are going a little crazy, so let's go ahead and head to our pre-launch and talk about games we've been playing recently. 
the pre-launch. Get to know us and our guests. In the pre-launch, we talk about one game we played recently, and we give our thoughts about it. So, Roberta, you've been playing a game that's actually pretty... It was in the hotness for a little bit. I think some still people are talking about it, but how about you go ahead and take it, take it away? For sure. So I got to go to a little gaming retreat recently and um, got to play um, Distilled, which mm-hmm. I had sort of seen around but didn't didn't know a lot about. Um, and this is a, a pretty interesting game. It's beautiful. Like it's it's had so much care into all these amazing little details about it. Yeah. Um, it's really, really lovely. Um, I... I found that actually it had a lot of rules that I thought it didn't need to have. Like it it was like it had been maybe underdeveloped a little bit because Mm -hmm. I kept being like, why does this rule exist? And it was interesting because there's some clearly really like the, there's so much passion and you could see that. And there's these like little rules or whatever that I, I could be like, well, the game experience would have been maybe better, but it was probably thematic. It's hard to say. Um, which would have been easier to like overlook, except the core mechanic of the game is actually heavily luck based. So yeah. every time you distill something, you're throwing some cards out of your hand and that's changing what you can do. And so if you're going to have a game that's quite luck based and then having all these little teeny edge case rules still in place felt like a little incongruous. Um mm-hmm. But that said, like, there's some interesting space with, like, upgrades you could do that I really wanted to explore more. Um, and I definitely, you know, if it came up at another event, I would definitely join to play it again because I thought there was a lot of really neat stuff going on, too. Yeah, as a person whose first game coming out is going to be about wine, and I'm a, I'm a former sommelier, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a spirits geek as well. So, of course, I like every kind of beverage. So as soon as this came out, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm all about this. I went to check it out, talked to the designer a little bit, got the demo, and then found out it was a luck-based game with a ton of Euro strategy around it. And those just two things felt incongruous to me. So I will play it. I'm not saying I won't, but it's also one that I – I fizzled a little out on because of that. So I told, I totally see exactly where you're coming from on that. But that said, Dave Beck seems like a really great guy and I could see all the passion and the love that went into it. So I wish it all the best. It's just not a game for me specifically. So what's more important for you, Roberta, the dedication to a theme in the game or interesting mechanisms? I, I think for me, the most important thing in a game is what is the story we're telling and do both of those things, the theme and the mechanics do they work together to tell that story in a way that brings the right experience? Like, you know, if, if I come into a game, um, like with all this detailed engine building and stuff, I want all the parts around it to also like, I want to have the experience I'm expecting, if that makes any sense. So if -hmm. you, if you have this really, really cute looking theme and then the game ends up being like really mean, for example, really cutthroat, like I want to know up front that that's what I'm expecting. Um, and and so I really think it's about considering the whole experience. Like a brilliant theme or a brilliant mechanics on their own are meaningless. Like you really want to have those tie together into an experience that that tells the right story and lets the players really enter that story. Andrew, let's hear about what you've been playing. So I had my nephews over for the day and uh, we walked to the local board game store. We had a great time looking at all the games. And of course, they were picking out all the ones with heavy miniatures and all this heavy gameplay. And I'm like, guys, we got like an hour and a half. Like we're not going to be playing Doom or anything like that. So we ended up playing uh, That's My Fish. 
Yeah, well, we played That's My Fish, which is a game that I knew of from a while back. And I had, I don't know, like four versions ago version of this game. And I loved it. It was kind of great. It's it's interesting. I heard a new story about it from the owner of the store, though. He said that that was actually an Avalon Hill based war game that they set up a war game for kids to play. And so that's where this originated from. And I thought that's very interesting. So we played That's My Fish. The premise of this game is very, very simple. Your penguins standing on ice. They can move as far as they want to any direction. Um, and when they land it, they're going to collect that fish next. Uh, but they can't cross over where the ice is broken. And when you leave your ice patch, that breaks the ice. So it's constantly this tactical moving around game of trying to get the most fish, but also trying to corner your opponents and put them out on little icebergs and stuff like that. It's adorable. It's easy to play in five, 10 minutes. We had a great time. We played it twice. Um, and then I won't talk about this time. But we also played deep dives. So we had a penguin day. So that was good. So did you find this game to be the the fiddliness of the game of flipping the tiles and stuff like that? Was it did it make it worth playing considering how heavy of a game it is or was it did the fiddliness outweigh the actual gameplay experience? Actually, I felt like this version is not that fiddly. It comes with a board that has like little sections for it and you can put the icebergs on the thing and then you can use your penguin to push down and it puts the little edge flip up so you can grab it easy. So I actually think this was a really nice version, nice implementation. I recommend it. Yeah, I played the original version and I liked it, but I didn't like setting it up. It was extremely irritating to actually do it and then trying to fiddle around with the different icebergs and stuff like that. So maybe I'll try this new version because I did enjoy lots of aspects of the gameplay. Mm -hmm. Sure. Well, for me, I was able to play Flamecraft. This is the newest game from Card. Not the newest Critter Kitchens on Kickstarter, but this is one of the biggest games of the last couple years. Flamecraft, you are playing dragons in an adorable little village with adorable little people doing adorable little things and adorable little shops. The whole game is just oozing adorableness. (laughs) <laughs> and in the game, you're placing a little dragon around these different shops, gaining resources, using different powers that dragons and shops have in order to fill recipe cards that will give you points or popularity in the hearts of the town of this in the hearts of this town. Now, there's a I think there's a lot to like about this game. I understand why it's so popular, and I really enjoyed my time playing with it, but I was not as satisfied with the game experiences I wanted to be. In my, in my opinion, this was, it was just, I just didn't find the puzzle to grab me in as much as I wanted it to. I was fine. I was satisfied at the end of it, but I want a game to do more than just satisfy me. And mm. I think just the core puzzle and the uh, the abundance of resources that, I, which I don't mind abundance of resources, but I want to be able to have a puzzle that I can use where I use those abundance of resources as efficiently as possible. It just didn't click for me. It wasn't my cup of tea. But I fully get why this game is so big, and I think it absolutely deserves to be so, just because of quality production and the ease and smoothness of the design. But it's it's just not a game for me. I'll, I'll definitely play it again. I, if someone says, let's play Flamecraft, I'm not going to complain. I'll sit down and I'll happily play it, but it's not one that's going to be on my shelf. I think with Flamecraft, what a lot of people have said is that they expect a deeper game than it actually is. This is a gateway game and it's a cutesy game and it's a cozy game. Speaking of that. Uh, And it's the kind of game you can feel good. And the 
vastness of the resources means that nobody's going to get frustrated that much. And I think that's another question that the game design community is asking itself is like, how much frustration is a good amount of frustration? So I feel like for gateway games, less frustration might be better to get people more involved and more enjoying the experience and then looking for other experiences outside of that. So I think maybe Josh, you're just a little further down the rabbit hole than this target audience is. Yeah, but I like, I like simple games. Like I love sea salt and paper and I like ticket to ride. So I, I just, I mean, I I wasn't going in expecting much of anything, but I was more pleasantly surprised about what I did get. Mm-hmm. I, I still just feel like it could have been maybe a little more. Maybe if they add some expansions to it that give me a little more puzzle, I might be more inclined to pick it up. But we'll see. I'm sure there's more Flamecraft in our future as the hobby. Oh, yeah. I would probably guarantee that the, the expansions coming out will complexify the game or, or add more depth. But also question is your son going to get a plushie no <laughs> he's not I, I have my sister who she does crochet I, I can get make have her make a dragon plushie so i love it awesome uh, roberta have you played this one flamecraft i have yeah and i think my reaction was similar it was expecting um a little more um finely tuned gameplay and it was it was very um simple and that's it's got its place but i i do think that um you can make it gateway friendly and still have a little bit more of that engagingness um Mm -hmm. but that's kind of one of those like it it's 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 hard to put your fingers on exactly what might change that up but you know it's definitely got a place in the hearts of a lot of people because it's so accessible and so sweet um and uh and you know like i'm sort of the same if someone was like hey i want to play this i wouldn't say no but i'm not going to seek it out because i just found it was it was really cute to look at but the gameplay didn't keep me really excited well as we always say there's a game for every person and this game may not be for us but that doesn't mean it's not for some of the people and i i can see this being the favorite game of some of my nieces and nephews and children that i know and stuff like that where the art is the driver and the experience is pleasant Oh, See, Andrew likes to say in the good graces of every single publisher. So every time I do something <laughs> negative, he always has to add that bit in. Just so... <laughs> it's true, though. It's so true. And it's actually something that I, I tell new designers all the time is like, you have to know who you're making this for and, and make it for them because you can never make a game that makes everybody's list of favorite things like you know everyone's so very different and and you know i really do think the folks that made flamecraft knew who their audience was Mm -hmm. i mean just the fact that there are people out there that do not like ticket to ride means that there's no you can't make a game for everybody it's just not possible that (laughs) that tells me everything i didn't know my instruments are ready they're saying are ready to go deep deep into a story so let's head on down and take let roberta tell us a tale is yours okay well you asked me a really really hard question um because the most memorable memorable gameplay experiences is is, is, well i mean i'm I'm, you know what you're doing you're you've got a broad question for a reason but i i have about 50 answers because i i think about there's like all these moments like when my kids were growing up connecting with them um Mm -hmm. You know, we always had these half-finished games of Catan because partway through, my my then adolescent daughter would just dissolve into tears and tell me everything that was on her heart, and we'd have this great, oh. you know, 
mother-daughter bonding moment out of the blue. And and then you have these like memories of like when I was a kid playing crokinole with my dad and then my dad playing with my kids. And then after he passed away, my kids and I get together and play it, you know, it kind of in his memory sometimes. Like you have all these like moments. There's just dozens of those. Um, but it's thinking, well, the, the common theme in, in all of when I really start thinking about this was just connection. And mm-hmm. so um, a number of years ago, um, I was, um, I was at the gathering of friends. I had just arrived. So when I go to this um, convention, I f- usually fly into Toronto, take a bus to Niagara Falls and then walk over the rainbow bridge into the States because it's the simplest way for me to get there. So it's like, two or three blocks from the um, bridge to the hotel. So I like walk into the hotel with my backpack and um, wandered straight down to the, where everyone was playing. I don't even think I checked in yet. Just like, Oh, who's here? I'm going to say hello and then go and do my thing. Um, And my buddy Al is standing there and he's like, Oh, Hey, you know, come over here. And, and, and um, have you played, have you played this game? And he, the table has um, above and below on it. And I'm like, Oh, I've never seen this before. This is really cool. He's like, well, do you want to play? I'm like, sure. Like I can check in later, whatever. So I sit down. He introduces me to the other folks at the table and, um, you know, they back up the, the teach and, and sort of jump me in. And the other folks at the table ended up being um, a couple who have since like become basically second family to me and oh, I love it you know you, you're sitting there and like above and below was a great game and I had a lot of fun with it and I've you know mm-hmm. played it over the years and it, always though it, it could even have been a mediocre game it's going to take me back to this moment where you met these folks and you know so you're playing the game and you're talking and you're joking and by the end of it you've realized hey like I think I've met I've met some cool people and yeah. um you know then when the pandemic the lockdown was on um we actually set up a zoom game of near and far just because why not? Right. And I mean, it's not a great game to play over the internet, but (laughs) didn't matter. Right. And, and so I, I think that's really for me, like it was one of those moments of just that, that moment of, of Al being like, Hey, come sit down and meet these people. And that just, um, you, you know is why i love board games um is it it it's a cool it was a fun game but more importantly it's about these relationships that you you can grow existing ones or make new ones mm-hmm. and i think for me that's just huge so essentially use this as an icebreaker at a party which is very interesting i've never i never really thought of it that way but plenty of times i've been sitting down table with people and start a conversation and then we play a game and then all of a sudden, yeah, just like you said, these people now become part of my life for the future moving forward on different levels, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a one-time single-use friendship. It could be something that leads to different things and you never know what you might connect over on all sorts of different kinds of things. And then all of a sudden you now have a movie buddy or you have a person you can, you know, have exotic teas with or whatever, all sorts of other things you find and branch into and this is just one other way to meet people out in the world. And I think that's really cool. Now, those are special people because they were at the gathering of friends. So there's that. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, and, and, and they're like, like I said, they're family now. So like, I'm in a, they're the best people. <laughs> <laughs> so what is it about gaming as a hobby 
you think tends to form these relationships? What about it makes these relationships stronger and makes them form seemingly sometimes out of thin air? I think it's just that, you know, there aren't a lot of situations where when we meet someone new, we we sit down and spend two hours with uh, ultimately a stranger and and it gives you these opportunities to just have that little bit of small talk. And so whether it's like, oh, your sense of humor clicks with mine or we, we discover right. that we um, know the same person or that, you know, we've been to the same place or whatever those things are in common. I think it just gives you that opportunity to make those connections that a lot of other you know, I mean, outside of that sort of awkward make small talk in a in a formally like party situation, you know, right. standing around with a glass stiffly hoping someone talks to you kind of a thing, um, you don't often have that. And it's it's nice because there's no pressure to like make eye contact because you're looking at mm-hmm. your cards or you're looking at the board and you've got something to keep the conversation going even if if you're just like a person who's more tentative and doesn't like just all of a sudden know what to say to like make those connections easily so i think it just makes it it takes a lot of the pressure off meeting new people because you can be focused on this intermediary which is the board game itself absolutely true and i feel like that's also uh, a way of that sports do you know, if you join a softball team or a bowling or something like that, it gives you that thing to do. And then you can strike up a conversation with the side of it. But yes, it gives that focus. And I think board games are a more accessible version of that because I don't have to join a league that I have to play for 12 leagues or something like that. I can literally show up to a game night at a cafe or a bar or whatever, sit down, play a game. If I meet some people, great. If I don't, you know what? That's okay. I move to the next table and then do that. Again. Hop around a little bit and maybe you meet some people. And I just think it's, it's a wonderful way to spread yourself out and put yourself in touch with some interesting people. And I think that also board games drive people who are really good at a lot of different things. So I feel like it's one of those hobbies that isn't so specialized. It's so broad in the spectrum of people that do that that you can meet all different kinds of people doing it. If you just look at people who are at a board game night, and if you took a poll of what their jobs were, I think you'd find that almost everyone has a different job. Yeah, it definitely is great for getting you out of your normal circles. So what are some of the games, in your opinion, that are very good at doing this kind of thing? Like if you were, if, if someone said, Roberta, I need a game to help make relationships, for like a better term, <laughs> what games would you suggest in order for this to happen in your experience? Um, I, I think like any board game experience, it really uh, depends a little bit who's around the table. Um, and and you always, you always want to find a game that is engaging and not intimidating to everyone who's there. Because, you know, the, the primary goal is, is to walk away having had a great time. And, and if, mm-hmm. If you haven't, you know, like, so for some people, you know, I've been at conventions and there's these, these people who all they do the whole convention, they're playing blood on the clock tower or social games like that. And that is just, they love that. And you know, like you can't play a game like that and not get to know the people there in some capacity. Right. I personally find those games immensely intimidating and I'm very, very bad at them because I do not have a poker face. Like this is just a known (laughs) fact. I like, you can read me like a book. It's not fun. People just look at me and know who I am. Um, And so like, 
you know, that's not my jam, but for some folks, that's like brilliant way um, to get to know. And, and same with, with anything. Um, you know, if, if I don't know, and especially with people who aren't gamers, I'll often just get the crokinole board down off the wall and be like, Hey, because you can't go wrong with crokinole. Like it's loud, it's fast, it's fun. People don't have to know what they're doing beforehand. And, you nope. know, it's good. It also has emergent strategy. Your first, your first flick has one thing. Your second flick is a different thing. And then your third flick. Oh, well now I'm starting to see the combos of things. And like, it, it's kind of cool to see it evolve that way. Uh, that's another game I brought out for my nephews and we played that one. I didn't bother to talk about that one, but that's a great one too. Yeah. That, I think they might be uh, getting a crokinole board for Christmas. We'll have to see how that goes. Yeah. So when you're approaching designing your own games, do you take any of these principles and aspects we've talked about into your designs? Um, I think, you know, you always have all these different parts of the player experience in, in your head. Um, and, and really it's, for me, it's important to really envision who's playing this game. And what experience are they expecting when they sit down at the table? What experience do I want them to have more, more than that, you know? And so thinking about creature comforts and really wanting it to be cozy, um, you know, a lot of the design decisions were informed by that. Um, So like that has a very abundant economy. Um, So does Hello Kitty Day at the park. It's, It's really easy to get resources. That's not because we don't want people frustrated. We want them to feel like, you know, there's a, there's an emotional thing that comes with abundance versus scarcity. And in those games, that's really important. And it doesn't mean you can do everything you want, but where you have to plan and be careful and whatever is in a different place. And one, hopefully that doesn't cause certain kinds of frustration um, because of that experience I want people to have. Like if I want you to feel like you're having this beautiful day at the park and the sun is shining and the birds are singing and there's all this cool stuff going on, you know, I can't make it really, really hard to do anything. You know, I have to make it more like, oh, how do I pick? There's so many cool things I could do. Whereas in a different game with a different experience, that might not be the emotions that you're going for. So that's definitely, um, I'm always thinking carefully about what, what's the most important thing of this experience that, and I, I really do think carefully about who's having that experience. Um, because I think that really matters. I think that's very true, but also I think because you have Hello Kitty on it, it has to be a special experience that way too. Like you have to you have to play into the IP, you have to play into the feeling that the people who love that property, that that cuteness, that kindness, that sweetness, like that has to be in the game itself. And I think with looking at how this game plays, I think you nailed it. And I think yeah, I think the fun of abundance and what cool thing am I going to do and what what choice do I'm going to have about which of the cool things to do makes all the sense in the world. No, oh, thanks. Yeah. And it, it is, that was a especially interesting one to design for because not only is the IP so charming and sweet and, and beloved, but so Hello Kitty was born the same year I was born. So it's been around, like I have adult children. It's been around for a long time. And so you have people my age who grew up with Hello Kitty and you have four-year-olds who love Hello Kitty. And so you have this really broad range of who might come to the table wanting to play this game too um, because it's not something that people outgrow in the same way that like some IPs 
oh, I, I'm an adult. I liked it as a kid, but it's a kid's thing. Like it's really got this broad. Um, so that was really fun trying to think of how do I make this so it's accessible, but not like a baby game, like where people are like, I don't want to mm-hmm. play that. It's just for my kids kind of a thing. Okay. So then as a person who is of the same generation mine is, right? So like I'm very much the same age as you. What other IPs do you feel like are prime that haven't been done yet? Because Hello Kitty, as far as I know, has not had a game that wasn't a roll and move until you. So that's great. So I want more of that in the world. What other IPs, especially since it's Maestro, uh, who's looking for these cool things to do? What what other ones are prime that you might take a crack at? You know, that's that's a great question. And I am not the right person to answer it because I grew up in the sticks in northern BC and we had CBC television. Um, so I didn't grow up with almost any like that kind of pop culture stuff completely bypassed me. Mm. I had to do so much research for Hello Kitty, um, <laughs> which is a really strange IP in and of itself because it has like little TV shows, shorts and stuff. But those all came way later than the actual Hello yes. Kitty. It was a product long before it had any kind of story. Whereas like Disney, it's like story first and the products come after. Um, right. So it's very different that way. Uh, but yeah, I'm sure that there's like a lot of stuff i think a lot of the things we're seeing re being revamped like in media like you know there is is there not a new care bears tv show maybe there compared like the old one if not Mm -hmm. there should be but like the my little pony got redone and i think you're seeing some of that um and of course those are like huge and and uh, there's a lot um sure uh potential in there and i don't know how much is being done with sort of great games there's actually in my opinion a really big gap in that sort of what people think of as like kids but like you know seven to twelve year old kind of uh, of really good games that that um are, are in in that sort of group of things that appeal to kids that age so i think i think there's lots of potential there so if you could pick one ip out of any ip existing right now then and make a game out of it which one would you want to do Oh man! See, I, I'm I'm gonna cheat. I'm gonna pick two. I, I, okay, I tell two. you, Go so for it. whatever. There needs to be a good omens game. Um, <laughs> absolutely, and I don't know if it's a role playing game or not, but it needs. There needs to be something brilliant there. And then I actually have always wanted to make a game around the. Do you remember the book Go Dog Go? Yes. Yeah, like I do. Go Dog Go. The light is green now. I don't know. There, it's so good. I really think there needs to be a little amazing kids game around that on that book so very different yeah two very different different <laughs> ips but that's okay and i'm gonna throw this question towards you as well oh man there's so many good ones that i want to dive into but uh wow i would really like to see the stand turn into a board game that like you have to move across the country and deal with good and evil and and be tempted and all the different, that would be really cool. I'd love to see that into like a thing. And I think we're not too far off from that happening. I think it's only a matter of time until one of these Stephen King books get turned into something. Um, But then on the more wholesome side of things, I've always been a huge fan of the Smokey and the Bandit movie series. So I would love to see like some cross country racing kind of game. Um, 
where like cannonball run, like that could be a great game too, where like you got 15 people all lining up at the same starting point. They got to get to the side, but you got to avoid all the, the cops and the construction zones. And then you're sabotaging each other. Vendettas are like Mad Max style, but not like more modern. Like those are two things I'd love to see. What about you, Josh? Give me two for you. Okay. First one off the bat is going to be bluey. I would love, love to make a bluey game. I've already like, I've already had like a paper in my, little design book of like two episodes I can make a game out of. That's, that's just, that's just the dream right now. I'm not sure if that will ever happen, but that'd be really fun. Secondly, if I were to choose an IP that I want to put forward, this is, this is a lot tougher, but I'm gonna have to say, I don't know. Maybe I would probably, I would try the last airbender um, game. Ooh, there's okay. So there's like, there's like the, uh, the Sosen rising and there's the RPG, which are both really great. But I think there is a, and there's like the the pro bending one. There's a couple Avatar games, but I do think. Oh, actually, nope. Change my mind. Gravity Falls. I just, I just figured it out. <laughs> Gravity Falls. I'm going to change my mind because there's lots of good Avatar games. There's not a good Gravity Falls game there yet, and I think there's a lot of potential in that IP to do some really interesting things regarding those characters. So, I mean, I, I guess I need to talk to Pat from the Yop about getting a, the, a Bill Cipher Rising going or something like that. But we'll see. Now that's that's neither here or there. Well, we've been down in the IPC again for a very long time. Let's go ahead and flick on our sonar and see what games we're looking forward to playing in our future. On the sonar, we talk about one game we're looking forward to playing in the future. Roberta, you are looking forward to a game that me and Andrew both have very positive feelings towards, so why don't you go take oh, this yeah. one away first? For sure. So a game that I'm excited to try to get my hands on to play is Votes for Women by Tori Brown. Um, This is a card driven, basically a war game about women's suffrage um, in the United States. And I don't know a lot about that. Of course, I know more of the Canadian UK version of women's suffrage, but um, I'm very, very curious um, for lots of reasons. Um, It's a female designed game. It's it's um, about women's rights. And um, I also... um, have designed a, a war game and so i like have dabbled in that a little bit and i'm really interested in in things that expand the war game space in interesting ways so yeah that's that's my looking forward to we highly recommend votes for women we really enjoyed our play we only played it one time but it was a really good play taught us quite a bit and i think it's very interesting to see I like this idea of war games that are not war games. Like, right. Like this is a battle between two sides, but it's not necessarily shooting and killing. This is changing hearts and minds. And I think that's a really cool way to go about that. Kind of like that's my fish, you know, you're fighting over fish, but it's still a fight. Exactly. You heard it here. Penguins fighting for fish and the suffrage movement are the same thing to Andrew. (laughs) Uh, Andrew, what are you looking forward to playing in the future? Uh, so there's this game called spots and it has got the most adorable art on it. And basically what it is, it's cards with a dog on it, but the spots are places to put dice. So it might have a single dot on the nose of the dog. And then on its rear end, it's got a five spot and you got to try to put a one and a five on the card. And this game looks so adorable. And I think the premise is you roll some dice and you try to apply them to the dog, kind of like roll for it style. 
but it's got an action selection system where you're picking one of the different actions. The actions tell you how many dice, how many re-rolls, or what you can do with your dice in that thing. So I'm going to check this one out. seems very interesting. Uh, it's a little tiny card game with dice. And so I think I'm going to pick it up and check it out. But this is what I'm looking forward to. It's on Board Game Arena, and it's really Ooh. adorable. So if anyone should get a game and play that way. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All right, Josh, what are you looking forward to? So I am looking forward to playing a game called Humanity. This is from Bombix. It is a space game where you are trying to colonize Titan. So mm-hmm. it's it's almost it's it's taking that whole space colonizing fad that's been going on for the last couple of years and trying to put a twist on it. It has a rondelle, like a spinning lazy susan thing in the middle that's like an arm that goes over tiles. It looks pretty interesting. Uh, the artwork doesn't really grab me at first, but I'm willing to give it. I'm, I'm going to give it a try because my friend Patrick and Scott from Level Up Board Game Podcast have asked me to play with them, and so I'm going to you know sit down and see what it's all about. I have hopes because Bombix did release Sea Salt and Paper, and that's been on, that's in the running for my favorite game of 2023. So I have high hopes for this one. So that is a humanity. Well. We've kept you down here long enough, Roberta. We need to get you back to Canada, so we're going to go and take the submarine through the rivers and creeks and the hills and hollers until we get you back (laughs) to where you need to be. So let's go ahead and resurface and let you go. Roberta, thank you so much for giving some of your time today to talk to us about, you know, relationships and board games and Hello Kitty and IPs and all that wonderful stuff. If people want to support you or they want more Roberta in their life, what can they do? Um, well, of course, you know, if you if you want to play games I've made, please go ahead and do that. Um, but you can <laughs> find me online on um, Blue Sky and Twitter at Infinite Roberta. Um, and that's where most of my board game postings happen. So, yeah. Well, listeners, as always, we look forward to seeing you in the future. If you're at PAX Unplugged, feel free to stop by. If you see me, I'll be wearing a purple shirt and probably working at the All Play booth. I'll be happy to talk to you for a minute instead of Andrew, who gets all the attention because he's the face of this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) As always, my name is Josh. I'm Andrew. I'm Roberta. And this has been Tabletop Submarine. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to support the Tabletop Summary Podcast, please consider giving us five stars on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends, family, and other gamers in your life. See you on the next voyage.